So with that, if you turn your Bibles to James chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. And this is going to be our text for today. Actually, this is going to be like one portion of our text today. i got a lot of text that I'm going to work through, so let's just be honest about that. <laughs> it says James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and it says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then James asked this question. This is the question that we've been wrestling with over the past little while. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And that, that verse has really been the verse that set up this series, that set up the context for blip. The, the, the anchor point for this whole thing is, is our lives are but a blip on the radar. And so if that's the truth, if that's the case, if life is here one minute and gone the next, I don't know about you, but maybe you'd agree with me, how we spend it is, is of the utmost importance. Right? Being able to live this life out that God has called us to. And, and I don't care what your past is. I don't care what happened last night. If you have breath in your lungs right now, God has a plan and a purpose for you. He still has a plan and a purpose for you. And no amount of brokenness or dysfunction or bad thinking or anything like that will ruin the plan and the purpose that God has for you. We just need to trust him and step into what he has for us. All right? And so that's kind of the premise of, of this series. So tonight as we continue on with our series, Blip, I want to speak to you from the subject resistance training. Resistance training as we deal with facing resistance in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this moment that we have to spend together. I thank you for this church, this, this beautiful church that you are building that you said that you would build and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so I thank you that you're building all of us. You're doing new things inside each and every single one of us. And God, I pray tonight that you would continue to unify us across all of our services this weekend. I thank you for the life change that's taking place. And so we honor you with this time. I pray that as we dig into your word, we would we'd once again come face to face with your grace, that we would experience your presence, that we would grow deeper and more anchored in you. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, so it snowed. <laughs> come on. Anybody excited about the snow? Finally. I thought we were living someplace else besides Utah for a while now. Um, I got almost 14 inches at my house, uh, which was insanity. Um, and my kids were pumped about it. My little boy was up at 5 a.m. Saturday morning, um, which is a sin in my book. And... Uh, <laughs> A gross, gross negligence in, in my book. And uh, he was up ready to go, get his clothes on, get out there, waking up the whole household. And finally they got out there. No joke, he was probably outside in the snow uh, around about 7.30 or 8. They're out there just, just going for it. And so we're hanging out and having a nice quiet day at home and, and getting ready for church today. And Erica turns to me, she says, you know, you have to, you have to shovel the driveway. Because um, I'm not cool like some of you and have like the whole snowblower thing. My neighbor has a snowblower and they blow more snow onto my yard, so that's fun. Um, but uh, she says, you know, you have to, you have to drive the, the, or you have to uh, shovel the driveway. And I was like, no, I don't. Mm-mm. No way. She said, we have to leave. And I was like, well, I mean, that's debatable. And so I finally realized, yeah, I got to get out there. And, and I started the shoveling process. Now, if you're a seasoned shoveler, you will know what was, what was about to take place in, in my life. Pure frustration for the next hour, for one. But secondarily, how many of you know that there's a posture to your snow shoveling? I mean, right? You know what I'm talking about? So you pick your line, right? And you get that snow shovel, and you anchor the handle against your belly, and then you just go for it. You're just, ah! <laughs> right? 
<clears throat> once you have that line, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I, this is it. This is my line, and I'm going for it. So I, I, I propped myself up, and I got, it, I got my snow shovel ready, and I just did my bull face, and then I was just, like, going for it. I was like, ah, I'm just running. And we have a sloped driveway, and so it worked really well in the first run. And how many of you know that you're super proud of yourself when you get that first clean line, right? Like, nothing moved over, and I've got, like, tendencies towards perfectionism in me, and so any type of dust that gets in my line, it just throws me off, like, it's wrong on so many levels. And so you kind of clean up and you get everything. It's like, that's a perfect line. And then you go to the second line. And what happened in my life next in that moment, I think many of you have experienced before. So you get ready to run that second line, failing to realize that if you're like me, your driveway is not completely even. Your driveway has portions of cement that have decided to rise nine or so inches. <laughs> Right? And so I picked up the second line, and I'm ready, and I do the same thing, and now my kids are watching because they're, they're kind of like, oh, man, this looks fun. Maybe I should get involved with this. So dad takes off, bull fake, and then he just, Aah! and then bam, I hit the cement, the shovel drives into my stomach and flings me up in the air, right? <laughs> to which my kids are like, nope, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> no part of that whatsoever. It was in that moment that I met a friend that many of us are very, very, very familiar with. His name is Resistance. Come on, anybody ever, ever felt the impacts of resistance before? <laughs> in that moment, it was more than resistance. It was just full blockade, all right? <laughs> so I realized something even yesterday as I'm thinking about this message and destroying my stomach lining with, with snow shovels, that resistance will impact your life in ways that we never even thought possible. But here's the truth. We all face resistance. We are going to face resistance. Here's the positive, encouraging moment here at church this morning. You will face resistance. Your life is going to have resistance in it. And here's the problem that I've come to realize about resistance is that many of us try to pray resistance away. Right? We try to pray away the very thing that God actually wants to use in our lives for good. Joni Erickson, uh, Erickson Tata, in 1967, when she was just 17 years of age, would be involved in a tragic dive accident that would leave her quadriplegic in a wheelchair and without the use of her hands. She would then go on to become the founder and CEO of Joni and Friends, an international disability center, as well as becoming an international advocate for people with disabilities. In describing the reality of resistance in her life and many others' lives, she says it like this. Sometimes God permits what he hates in order to accomplish that which he loves even more. Yet for many of us, our prayer consists of asking God to take away the very thing that he is ultimately going to use to bring glory to his name through us. Now Jesus would say something very similar and along those lines in John chapter 16 verse 33, he would say this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Notice he doesn't say in your job, in your relationship, in your marriage, in your money, in your stuff, in your thing. He doesn't say that you'll have peace in those things. He says that in me, in him, I will experience peace. And then watch what he goes on to say. In the world, you will have tribulation, trials, resistance. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In other words, you and I are going to face resistance. We're going to face adversity. Yet one of the greatest reasons that we do not make the most of our blip, one of the reasons that we don't make the most of this life, is because the resistance destroys us. We don't know how to deal with this resistance in our lives. It frustrates us. It causes us to doubt. It causes us to retreat. It causes us to go insular. It causes us to walk away from God. 
It causes us to walk away from healthy relationships. Have you ever noticed, just to, just to say this kind of like, this is for free, have you ever noticed that relationships have a tendency to have the most amount of re- resistance in them? Because health takes work. Right? Health takes work. Right? So you may be feeling, I always tell people, if there's resistance in relationship, it's because it's probably a good relationship. If there's no resistance whatsoever, if there's no conflict, it's not building anything in us. Eric and I, we've got plenty of resistance in our marriage. It's good. I would never wish it away. She wins most of the time, but there's still resistance that happens, right? And it actually creates a greater relationship. Resistance is good. So we've got to then learn how to deal with resistance appropriately. And one of the ways that we do that is first realizing the type of resistance that is involved in life. So I want to take us to a story. I want us to journey through, through the story of David and Goliath. Many of us have heard this story before, right? In one way or another. And I think it presents to us different areas of resistance that we need to know about. David's life presents to us different pieces, different moments of resistance as he would get ready to step into a life-defining moment for himself. And I want to tell you this, this year at the, at the outset of 2018, for many of us we have our goals, we have our, we have our ideas, we have our thoughts, we have what we want to accomplish, we have all these things. Can I tell you, as long as you have forward progress in front of you, you will always meet resistance. If there is something in front of you that God has that you're going to try to step into, come on somebody, you're going to meet resistance. If there is a purpose and a plan over your life, which there is, doesn't matter where you're at, you're going to meet resistance. As you're trying to shovel your way through life, you're going to hit that thing that's going to cause a bit of resistance in you. You're going to face resistance. The question is, is can we deal with it? So found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 12 through 40, we're launched into the life of this young man named David. As he would go on the journey to face something in somebody that no one else was willing to face. We're told in 1 Samuel 17, 12, that David was the son of an apathrite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. We know that three of the eight sons, presumably the oldest, were out on the front lines of battle against a vast and well-equipped Philistine army. You had to be 20 years of age to be in the Philistine army at that time, to stand on the front lines. And so that we know, at least by, by the time that David was anointed, anointed king by the prophet and dealing with his father's sheep, we know that David was more than likely not 20 years of age. So three of the oldest boys were on the front lines. The Bible then describes to us that, and by way of tradition and, and, and history and, and, and cultural nuances, David and many of the other sons would actually find themselves going back and forth between their father's house and those of his children who were on the front line. So David was a runner. He would bring food. He would bring correspondence. He would bring all those things to make sure, hey, this is how home's doing. How are you doing? He would also bring things, gifts and food as well, for those who were set in charge over those family members that they would be visiting. The Bible tells us that David was going back and forth between his father's sheep and, and the front line. So we know that this is where David was at. And this is where we pick up on the story. 1 Samuel 17. Verses 20 and on, and this is where we see our first moment of resistance that David would face. So if you can help me out tonight, I'm going to have everybody shout number one. Come on. Number one. This is the the first point of resistance that David would face. Seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Come on, you ever faced an obstacle before? You ever faced an obstacle before that you thought was not able to be overcome? 1 Samuel verses 17 through 24 says this. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse, that's his father, had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. 
Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. Have you ever noticed something about obstacles? They're always suddenly. <laughs> That's what I hate about obstacles, is they're always suddenly. You never know, like, yep, today I'm facing obstacles. Right? We're like never really prepared for the obstacle that's going to pop in our life. It's always a suddenly. And suddenly, the relationship started to break down. And suddenly, I realized that I had a health issue. And suddenly, all of a sudden, this obstacle peaked up over, over th- things and started, started doing its thing in, its, in, its, in my life. Suddenly, it started to happen. And that's the thing about obstacles. And I think that's why they throw us off is because they're suddenly. And that's what happened with Goliath. He suddenly appeared. When all the Israelites saw Goliath, watch what they did. They retreated from him, terrified. This narrative in 1 Samuel 17 is probably one of the most descriptive narratives that we will find, especially when it comes to how much time spent on an enemy. The Bible, and especially the Old Testament, likes to spend a lot of time talking about how good God is, right? Over the army that's potentially there, over the bad guy that's potentially there. But this moment right here in 1 Samuel, we see a narrative, we see a ton of words given to explaining who Goliath was. Why? Because the Bible wants to teach us a very important principle, and that's this. It doesn't matter how big the obstacle is, God is always bigger. He's always bigger. So watch what it says about Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verses 3 through 7. So rewind really quick, all right? The Philistines were standing on one hill, the Israelites were standing on another hill, with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet, bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze, there was bronze armor on his shins. A bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. The point of his spear, 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. So common practice for great, uh, great warriors is that they would have an armor bearer, or in this case, in Goliath's case, a shield bearer. So, so Goliath was dressed to the nines and all of his battle stuff, and so uh, how would you like that job? Hey, you're going to carry my shield. You're going to take all of the blows first. And that's what the shield guy would do. So he would just walk with the shield and Goliath behind him. That's how big he was. That's how outfitted he was that he needed somebody else to carry his shield for him. This is... Goliath. This is the man that the Israelite army feared, and not just feared, but would retreat in terror from. It was an obstacle, he was an obstacle like no other. One that was seemingly insurmountable, and one that could not be overcome, and one that David would eventually have to face. The first type of resistance that David would face, and the resistance that you and I face many, many times in our life, is that of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Goliath represents the things that stand in front of us that seem like they can't be overcome. And this is what's crazy about faith, is that it requires faith. <laughs> but we don't like that, do we? We can't quantify faith. We can't grab faith all, all the time. But many times it comes down to understanding, like, if there's going to be an obstacle in front of me, I've got I to know something, that God is bigger than that obstacle. 
And I want to encourage somebody tonight. I want to encourage multiple somebodies tonight that you may be staring down an obstacle right now, but you got to understand that God is bigger than that obstacle. you got to understand that there still is something, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. So don't freak out when you face an obstacle, right? But we've done that before, right? We all go Jerry Maguire on it. We grab our goldfish, and we storm out of the room because, God, I can't. How? What? Bottom line is there's going to be obstacles in your life. Right? There's going to be those things that stand. So that's the first type of resistance that you and I are going to face. The second type, every shot number two, is this, close quarter criticism. Come on, close quarter criticism. <laughs> right? First Samuel 17, 26-30, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes his disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should stand and defy the armies of our living God? That's an Old Testament diss right there, right? One that you should never repeat in your car as somebody pulls in front of you, because <laughs> that's just weird. Verse 27, the troops told him about the offer, concluding, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Watch what happens now. David, oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the man, to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? Do you think that his older brother cared about the sheep at this point in time? No. And then, and then here's the heart issue. This is where Jerry, like Jerry Springer comes out all over this, okay? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down here to see the battle. And then David answers, what have I done now? Protested David. It was just a question. Come on, how many times have you ever said that before? I'm just asking a question. That's it. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the, the offer, and the people gave him the, the same answers before. We'll talk about them in a minute. David's brothers represent the critique of those that are closest to us. Close quarter criticism. Have you ever noticed that those closest to us are the ones who can bring the greatest amount of critique that also weighs the most and causes the most pain? It causes the most frustration. They're the ones that have a tendency, that, and they are the ones that have a tendency to level the most amount of critique. Because let's be honest, critique in general from people in our, in, around us, right? Like say you're just strolling down Smith's bread aisle, getting ready to pick out Grandma Sycamore's white bread because that stuff's just the bomb as toast, right? And somebody walks up to you and says, man, I can't believe you eat that stuff. That's, that's just nasty. And I walk away and be like, I don't care. Right? But how many of you know somebody close to you, like your wife? He says, don't get Grandma Sycamores. You need to get Dave's Killer Bread. It's healthier, and I need you to live longer. Right? How many of you know that criticism hurts a little bit more, right? Close quarter criticism. We all have the people in our lives that their words carry the most amount of weight. We all have the people in our lives where their criticism can carry the most amount of, of sting. Even Jesus experienced this. Matthew 13, 53 through 58. And when Jesus had finished it, I hope you love your Bible. There's a lot of it tonight. When he finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Listen to how this rolls out. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Well, first and foremost, he's talking about Joseph and Mary, the young kids that got pregnant early, which they have a whole other baggage of stuff attached to them. So now the people are saying, isn't this Jesus, like their, their kid? Right? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and, and Judas, and not are all of his sisters with us? Where then did his, this man get all of these things? They're calling into question his genealogical lineage to make a judgment call about him. 
And then watch what happens. And they took offense at him. And so Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And then watch what happens. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And oh, well, there's, there's criticism leveled against him. And because of that criticism, even Jesus, Jesus was limited with his power. Have you ever noticed that your ability has a tendency to be limited when we accept great amounts of critique from everybody else? All of a sudden, the, the confidence you may have and the security may you have, like if it, if it gets leveled too hard against us, all of a sudden we don't have the ability to negotiate the life that is in front of us. And so one of the points of resistance that you and I are going to face is close quarter criticism. Many times the people close to us won't see what we see, won't believe what we believe. And it doesn't mean that we take up an arrogant posture, but it means that we have to be very selective as to the critique that we allow and give space and weight in our lives. The third one is this. Come on, number three. Number three, the third area of resistance that we're going to experience is doubt formed by comparison. Doubt formed by comparison. 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 33. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. I love that. David strolls up in his little shepherd clothes. Right? Just a young dude. And he tells the king, I'm going to handle my own. We're going to do this. You and me, I got you. We're going we're to make this happen. All right? And then Saul says this. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just, you're just, come on, has that ever been said? You're just, you're just fill in the blanks. You're just too uneducated. You're just too this. You're just too that. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. Now we have doubt being formed by comparison. Have you ever noticed that we live in a compare and contrast world? We're comparing everything. We compare our skills, we compare our prestige, our bank accounts, our accomplishments, we compare our our amounts of followers and our likes, our clothes, we compare our churches, we even compare our challenges. Ever notice that? Man, I've been going through this in life. Yeah, but I've been going through this. (laughs) Man, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busier. I'm booked out for the next 14 years. How about you? We compare everything. And here's the truth. Comparison's killing us. It's killing us. We get on the, the Instagram. It should, like the name should change. Like it's just compare yourself to other gram. Like that's what it is. Right? Look, I'm guilty of it. I get it. Pastors do it too. Oh, watch that guy. You compare your preaching. You compare this. You compare that. You compare the tightness of your pants. Like you compare all kinds of things. He's cooler because they're tighter, and he's wearing a V-neck. Like, <laughs> the truth is, I have man's eyes, so I just can't fit in those pants that you see everybody else wearing. <laughs> we compare everything, and one of the resistance pieces of resistance that you and I are going to face in life, we are going to face doubt that is fueled by comparison. When you start doubting in life, and this is something that I've been learning lately, you need to first ask where is that doubt coming from. And it's amazing how many times that the doubt that I experience in life on a day-to-day basis, many times, moreover than not, is formed because I started comparing myself to somebody else. Why? Because I started doubting who I was. 
in relationship to who that person was, to who that person is. And God's saying, no, 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 I've, I've wired you uniquely. I've numbered the hairs on your head. I've known you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. So stop comparing yourself to somebody else that I was just as unique with. Be you, boo-boo. That's the Greek. That's the Greek. If you have theological issues tonight, talk to Pastor Luis or Pastor Justin. The fourth area of resistance that we're going to face in life is pressured, pressured conformity. Pressured conformity. 1 Samuel 17, you guys getting something out of this? 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. So now David's like, at least persuaded him to say, okay, let me go fight this, this battle. So, so Saul says, all right, I'm going to put my clothes on you. I'm going to put my battle clothes on you. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. So David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. And he said, I can't walk in these. That's what he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Now I want you to see something. We've got we to look at some cultural values here. David is standing in front of a king. Okay? I know for us, to, to, when it comes to people and authority, we have a different idea and mindset as to what honor is and all those different things. You don't talk back to the king. Simple as that. People lost their lives for less by speaking to the king the way David did. But there was something happening here that was more than just the physical exchange between Saul and David and the armor. There was something spiritual taking place as well, where David was saying, I'm not going to allow you to put something on me that I was never supposed to wear. And for some of us, we are walking through our life wearing things that somebody else or some other thing has put on us, and we're not supposed to do it. You put on somebody else's confession about you. You put on somebody else's opinion about you. You put on the diagnosis that somebody else gave you. But here's the thing that we need to understand. We're not supposed to wear those things. I gotta wear what God says about me. I gotta wear his design for my life. We gotta stop putting those things on. Man, I gotta tell you guys, listen, I've had plenty of people tell me what I am and what I am not. I've had people tell me that you're too hyperactive. I know that. I get that. I've had people tell me that you're not smart enough. You're not eloquent enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. Since when did I ever have to be enough in my own right? I don't have to be enough in my own right. Because I'm not enough. That's what makes the cross so powerful. I don't have to be enough. He was enough. I don't have to be enough. He is enough. And he takes my nothing and he puts something in and he says, listen, I'm going to use you as crazy as you are to bring glory to my name. And he says that over every single one of your life. You don't have to be anything because he is everything. And so there's pressured conformity. Listen, the world that we live in is going to love and is going to try to put everything they can on us. According to the biblical scholar Dwight Pryor, shepherds were detestable, and I quote, unreliable. They sometimes couldn't testify in court. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Shepherds were despised by the good and respectable people of that day. 
And according to the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of Jewish law, they were regarded as thieves and, only peop- and the only people lower than shepherds, listen, were lepers. Lepers, shepherds. Saul couldn't afford to have a shepherd boy step out onto the field and do what his army was not capable of doing. Why? Because it would bring reflection to somebody that Saul did not want reflection upon, and that was God Almighty. We got to stop putting on what everybody is asking us to put on. Pressured conformity. So these are the four areas of resistance. Now quickly, with that being the case, I want to help us overcome resistance. And the first way we do it is this. We have to see the opportunity beyond the obstacle. David spoke to the men and he asked them, what's done for the man who takes out Goliath? What was David doing? He was looking beyond the obstacle. Have you ever noticed that we have a tendency to like, just like love to look at our obstacles? Have you ever noticed that? How many of you would agree with me? We spend exorbitant amounts of time looking at our obstacles. We try, oh, what's this about? Oh, why is this obstacle so bad? We get on the intranet and start surfing everybody else's blog about the same obstacle that we're facing. Right? So we get involved with everybody else's over-prioritizing of their obstacle. This is what I'm asking us tonight. Can we just once stop giving honor to our obstacle and start giving honor to the opportunity that God has given us and study that thing out? We gotta study that thing out. We gotta stop giving so much attention to the obstacle. Yes, it's bad. I get it. But what happens if we were to focus our energy on learning to praise God in the midst of that obstacle being in front of us? Because for most of us, we're praising our obstacles. Did you know that you could give negative worth and value to your obstacle? You give honor to it. And even though it's negative in your life, the more attention that you pay to it, the more focus that you give it, the more honor that you give it, it actually grows larger than what it is many times. You know that term, you make a mountain out of a molehill? Right? Do you know how, I'm, can I'm going to show you. Do you know how to make a mountain out of a molehill? Watch. You get super close to it. <laughs> Think about that. Isn't that truth? Because a molehill's not a mountain. Until I get so close to it that I can't see anything else. And now the molehill is a mountain. And this is what most of us look like in life. We are making mountains out of our molehills. And God says, would you look up and see where your help comes from? Would you look to me and know that I'm faithful in the midst of it? Gotta stop making mountains out of our molehills. And this is why Paul writes 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. So we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We got to look past the obstacle and look to the opportunity. Number two, the second way we overcome resistance is we got to learn to counter the critique. I don't want to belabor this point, but some of us need to seek a second opinion. (laughs) You've allowed that voice to speak to you and label you and say stuff. Seek a second opinion. This is a book of opinions that are birthed in the heart of God. 
And sometimes I don't need anybody else's second opinion. I need God's first opinion. And some of us got to rework some of the things that have been said over our lives. So we have to learn to counter the critique. Well, you're this, Jason. Yeah? So? God says this. You're like, that sounds so childish. Last time I checked, my faith is supposed to be childlike. So here's the thing. If I need to say, my dad is bigger, that's fine. You're this. My dad's bigger. Yeah, but that'll never happen. My dad's bigger. Right? But what about this? How my dad can beat up your dad? (laughs) Sometimes it's a little childlike faith that needs to exist in our hearts. Well, no, but I'm a mature follower. (laughs) Last time I checked, maturity in the kingdom of God is childlike maturity. It is. You didn't get the theology, you didn't get the doctrine, you didn't mature yourself past Jesus. My faith has to be childlike. Maturity in the kingdom is childlike faith in him. And I overcome critique, I counter critique by learning what his voice is in my life. Number three, the third way that we, we do this. The third way that we counter Resistance is we have to develop personal security based upon previous victory. We have to develop personal security based upon previous victory. I love what David says to Saul. And if you don't know this storyline, this is awesome. This is like the scene of a movie. It would go great with the trailer Justin made earlier, right? David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Listen to how David talks to a king. A young punk kid. And he says, whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. And if it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur and I would strike it down and kill it. I love that. David was a gangster. <laughs> and they watch what he says, your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David didn't care about Saul's armies. See, Saul cared about his name. David cared about God's name. And when we learn to position ourselves in a place where we care more about God's name than our name, then we can stroll up on any type of lion and bear that we're going to face in our life, and we can say, listen, God has given me the power and the ability to handle this stuff. I can handle my stuff. We're going to face resistance. David knew he'd been victorious. This is why we're celebrating five years as a church the way that we are. For many here tonight, five years is not a big deal to you. Maybe because you haven't been here that long or you haven't been here since the beginning. But this service has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with celebrating victories. Why? So we can be encouraged for the battles that are ahead of us. Because if God's been victorious then, he's going to be victorious now. And he's going to be victorious in the future. I celebrate my small victories. you got to celebrate your small victories. Today I won something. Today I was faith-filled. Today I pressed into Jesus. That's a small victory. Because you're going to face lions. You're going to face bears. And you're going to face giants. And God needs you to remember. Remember, he's been with you the whole time. He's been with you the whole time. Here's the deal. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. But Jason, I'm facing divorce right now. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. But Jason, I'm, I'm facing a diagnosis that says it's terminal. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. 
facing an addiction that's killing me. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. So understand I'm facing this depression again, and I just want to end it all. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. You don't know what I'm facing, though, Jason. It doesn't matter. The Bible tells us that Jesus, facing all of it, feeling all of it, has the victory over it. And so, therefore, I can approach him, and I can say, help me in my time of need. He's done it once. He'll do it again. Fourth way that we overcome resistance is we have to be okay with standing set apart. We have to be okay with standing set apart. First Samuel 17, 39 through 40. Watch what David says to Saul. I'm not used to the so David took them off. We have to take off what the world's put on us and be set apart. Did you know being set apart is lonely at times? I know that. I get that. When all my other buddies were partying and doing their thing, I had my nose in the Bible. This was after Bible college as well, by the way. Just so you know. Like, what kind of Bible college did you go to? <laughs> Get home from Australia and watching all my buddies do all these different things, and I'm serving in youth ministry. I'm serving my church, I'm showing up and trying to love on people. Studying the Bible, all of the so uncool things to do. And all my friends are meeting people, partying, doing the stuff, living for themselves. And I'll never forget one night, praying to God, asking him this question, why is it so lonely? Come on, have you ever felt that before? Have you ever noticed that standing with character and integrity is a lonely place to stand? Why is it so lonely? I really felt like that night God, some, God secured some stuff in me in that moment. It's not lonely if I know whose presence I'm standing in. It's not lonely when I know whose presence I'm standing in. To be set apart means to be stationed in the presence of God. You're not alone not by yourself, you're not isolated, you're set apart, you're not cast down, you're not irrelevant, you're set apart, you're consecrated, you're set apart for his special use, and it's in that place that we step in to everything that God has for us. Some of us feel like life has been a snow shovel in the gut of our stomach. But I'm here to let you know tonight that you have one at your side who says, I am with you and going to see you 
through this. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand your feet with me tonight?